Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our series on contentment, talking today about contentment and suffering. Now, uh, by now, you no doubt know that I have a new book out, Contentment, The Journey of a Lifetime. And I, oh, oh, when I was working on this book for about two years, I, I took a really deep dive into uh, this subject as a whole, contentment. But it really wasn't until recently when I when I came across uh, the passage that we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, where I was really reminded, hey, you know what? Paul has so much to say about contentment. He has even more to say about suffering and how he faced this. And, and there's a tiny little phrase that we're going to talk about today where he talks about contentment. And, and it's fascinating. Um, I actually missed it in working on my book. Uh, it would have been added even more to to the book as a whole, but you know what we uh, we learn and we keep growing, and um, so today we're going to talk about contentment and suffering, and uh, and I'm really hoping that this episode will be not only interesting to you um, in terms of the content that that you'll be like, wow, I never thought about that either, Dave, but but also that it'll really help you in the midst of suffering and discouragement. And and uh, we're going to talk about that as well. You know, before we even get into today's episode, I, I just want to, I want to share something very personally with you. You know, um, it's been uh, in 2012, so about 12 years ago, um, that due to a number of different factors, my dad was out of my life for about six and a half years and he came back uh, into my life I got a phone call one day about 12 years ago um, I just graduated seminary so it was like May of actually it was June of 2012 and I got this phone call from my older brother saying hey dad's your our dad is back he's in the hospital in Seattle um, can you call the hospital and find out what's happening and then you know let me know so I call the hospital and within actually um, it's I'm living in I'm living in the Boise area within uh, about an hour and a half uh, my wife and I are driving actually from from uh, Boise Idaho to Seattle so within about 10 hours of getting that phone call I'm I'm on the road and I'm in Seattle and uh, figuring out what's happening. And it turns out that he had dementia. He still has dementia, my dad is still alive. Now fast forward 12 years, and my mom has in the last few years gotten a formal diagnosis of Alzheimer's. You know, um, even recently as a month ago, her, her husband died tragically. And so I've been caring for my mom from a distance of uh, several hundred miles. We live, my wife and I live in Southern Oregon. My mom and I, my mom lives in, in the greater Seattle area still. And so I've been caring for her. Um, and the thing is, is these types of situations are hard. And what they, what they remind us of is 
that what we've been talking about here in this series. Now, you may not have two parents with memory issues. Both of my parents are advanced in their memory issues. You may not have that. And I'm certainly not comparing my situation to yours or saying my situation is better than yours or any of that. But I am saying we all have situations in our lives. We all have these touch points. And and the Lord is using these things in our lives to refine us and to shape us and to mold us. And so this kind of episode is, is really helpful because if we remember what we're talking about, about contentment, we have peace with God, as Romans 5 says, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this practical peace, as Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says, that is being that is because of our union with Christ, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have peace with God, and that peace is being made real in our lives. And we need to remember, as we've talked about, that contentment is possible because of what Christ has done, and because of the work of the Spirit in our lives, we can have peace. And that means that contentment is a disposition of the heart. We can have peace in the midst of every situation because of our union with Christ. Keep that in the back of your mind as we work through what we're going to talk about today. So let's get into our episode. The Lord's visit to Elijah reminds us that he is present with his people, even if he's not performing the great feats so we might want him to. Most of the time, in fact, God orders history with an invisible hand, working through ordinary decisions to bring about desired ends. His use of Esther and Mordecai demonstrates this maxim, and we can also look at our own lives and see how our Creator works behind the scenes to do His good work. The Lord also goes a step further than this and does what is completely unexpected. We may not always see him moving leaders to fulfill his plan, but his use of potence, people, is, is not particularly surprising given that it often takes powerful men to make powerful changes. However, sinners cannot anticipate that God takes joy in working through our weakness. Among other reasons, Paul wrote Second Corinthians because of false teachers who came in to steal his disciples. These evil men undermine Paul's authority by attacking his weak bodily presence, unsophisticated speech, as he says in 2 Corinthians 10.10. And apparently a lack of spiritual experiences these false teachers deem worthy of an apostle in 2 Corinthians 12.1. Paul could have boasted of the revelations that Christ gave him to counter these claims, as he says in 2 Corinthians 12.2-6. But instead he boasts in his weakness, telling us the Lord gave him a thorn to keep him humble in 2 Corinthians 12.7. The exact nature of this thorn is unknown, although the Reformation Study Bible notes on this passage that it could be a physical infirmity of some kind or harassment from demons or persecutors. Either way, Paul pleaded to have this thorn removed, but God kept his thorn in place to show the apostle how his power is made perfect in weakness according to 2 Corinthians 12.8-9. Now, whether the thorn is a physical ailment like Jacob had in Genesis 32, 22 through 32, a lowly status as with David in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, a lack of education like Peter and John, see Acts 4, 13, or something else entirely, the Lord does the unexpected and uses weak vessels to advance his kingdom. Now, when weak individuals accomplish great things, then others see clearly that God exists and is present with his people. Unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ has not always relied on the power of God to advance the gospel. In ages past, the power of the sword was a favorite tool. Today, many borrow the strength of secular business models or popular popular fads to grow a ministry. 
but the Lord delights to work in and through our weakness. Even if you have a disability, do not occupy a position of power or otherwise feel insignificant. God can use you to do mighty and glorious things. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, the Apostle Paul writes of the sufferings he endured during his ministry to the Gentiles when he says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The Apostle Paul was used in a mighty way by God to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. In fact, we read in the book of Acts that Paul was a key church planner and he knew exactly what it meant to experience difficulties and hardship. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23-25, Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labor, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Well, you see, Paul knew well of the difficulties and the hardships. So how did he respond to them? Paul was God-centered in his response. He focused on God and what God was doing through the difficult circumstances, just as in 2 Corinthians 1.9 when he says that his suffering was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. See, Paul was convinced of the power of God and that God could even raise the dead as he himself had met the risen Christ in Acts 9.5. And so Paul, by God's grace, had an eternal perspective. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17, Paul says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul had learned that it was not about him and his strength, but all about Jesus Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Paul records God's response to his pleas when he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How about us? How are we? How are you and I? How are we responding when in God's providences we face difficulties and hardships? Are we God-centered or do we simply focus on, on how hard it is for us? Do we have faith that God indeed can raise even the dead? May God grant us an eternal kingdom perspective and may he give us the humility to truly believe the words of 2 Corinthians 12.10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, our abilities, they can fill us with pride. Even our strength can become a weakness. This is why the Apostle Paul was given a thorn in his flesh. It was meant to stop him from tipping over on the other side. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, many people who are exceptionally gifted, they become superstars. This can feed uh, their egos until they become proud. But, but they forget Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 
Now, the Bible is crystal clear about pride and its consequences. It's a precursor of the fall. And so whenever people begin to think too highly of themselves, it's usually only a matter of time before they're humbled. Their very strength becomes their Achilles heel. And the opposite is equally true. When you are conscious of your weakness, you become strong. How? You become more prayerful and more dependent on the Lord. And so God's strength comes to your aid, fortifying you in the very area where you're most vulnerable. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. What we know is that this messenger of Satan harassed him. It laid him low. It drove him to his knees. And in due season, he learned that he was stronger on his knees because of the Lord's all-powerful and all-knowledge of every situation because he's everywhere all at once and how that knowledge upheld Paul. Now, this is a lesson that we all need to learn. Our strengths are our weaknesses because they make us self-reliant, lopsided, and proud that tips us over the cliff but our weaknesses are our strength as uncomfortable as they might be because they drive us to our knees now if we were to ask the apostle paul for the secret to his usefulness in his apostolic office and there are no apostles today to be clear he too would give us a two-word answer my weakness now we know that this would be his answer because of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12:10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The apostle did not write these words, seeming paradoxical words, out of a desire to say something that would capture our attention. Rather, these words were spoken in the context of Paul's dealing with believers who were being spiritually seduced by super apostles who had infiltrated the Corinthian church and were even promoting themselves, propagating heretical views in 2 Corinthians 11, 12-15, while denigrating the apostle Paul. These false apostles, they were determined to wean the Corinthian church away from Paul's ongoing pastoral guidance and were in fact using character assassination as their major weapon. And to discredit Paul, they highlighted the fact that he did not speak with spine-tingling oratorical powers in verse 6. He did not turn heads when he walked into the room because he possessed an unusually handsome face or an imposing physical constitution in 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. He did not even charge the going rate for giving a prepared speech delivered by a trained uh, person in, in, speech, in public speaking. And in seeking to win back the confidence and the affection of the Corinthian congregation, the apostle indulges in what he describes as speaking as a fool in 2 Corinthians 11, 16 and 21. That is by boasting about himself and his experiences. What he's doing is uh, purposely but reluctantly assuming the role of a self-flattering fool. This boasting, it reaches its climax in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, where he speaks of his unique experience of being caught up into paradise, where he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 12. 
Now, it's in this setting of Paul sharing this unique revelatory privilege that we are introduced to Paul's famous thorn in the flesh. Now, we must first note that we cannot conclusively identify the nature of Paul's thorns. We do well to listen to the wise observation of Philip Hughes, who says the problem of Paul's thorn in the flesh is another one of those questions which, on the evidence available, must remain unanswered. Over the centuries, many solutions have been proposed, frequently with excessive confidence, but the plain fact is that it is impossible to escape from the realm of conjecture, which is by its nature the realm of inconclusiveness. And while we cannot identify with dogmatism what the thorn in the flesh actually was, we do not need to guess concerning its effects upon the apostle and the purpose of which God allowed this messenger of Satan to afflict him. As to its effect on Paul, it's clear that the apostle had become convinced that he could not fulfill his apostolic mission while being hampered by this thorn. And so he gave himself to three seasons of intensive supplication, pleading with the Lord Jesus that the thorn might be removed in order that he might fulfill his mission without this crippling affliction. So much regarding the effect of the thorn. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 is the record of what God made plain to Paul concerning the purpose of this thorn. Part of the explanation of that purpose is captured in the Lord's words to Paul in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In fact, the Lord further revealed to Paul that this purpose of this thorn was to keep him from becoming conceited by the surpassing greatness of the revelations given to him in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. In fact, the Lord went on to reveal to Paul the profound truth that by his grace a man reduced to conscious weakness, but walking in humility and dependence on God will be empowered to complete his God-given task in spite of a deeply disturbing context of weakness. In fact, this new insight given to Paul by the Lord Jesus Christ caused him to give up uh, praying for the removal of the thorn and to say in verses 9 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 12, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And from these verses, we see the apostle viewed everything that we label as negative providences as God-ordained means to keep us consciously weak, that we may indeed be blessedly strong in Christ. Only then are we kept in a conscious state of felt weakness, will we be able to say with the apostle, then I am strong. And regardless of our calling in life, if God asks us what we have to offer in the pursuit of that calling, can we honestly respond by giving a two-word answer, my weakness? If so then perhaps we're learning what it means to live as a child of God who believes with every fiber of their being the words spoken by our Lord Jesus to his disciples in John 15 5 apart from me you can do nothing and so let us continually offer him our weakness while pleading with him to fulfill his promise that his strength will be made perfect in our weakness let me ask you a question how well are you investing the weakness you've been given Perhaps that question has never been asked to you before, and perhaps it seems like nonsense. After all, people invest assets in order to increase their value. They don't invest liabilities. They try to eliminate or even minimize or even cover up liabilities. And it's easy for us to see our strength as assets, right? But most of us naturally consider our weakness as liabilities, deficiencies to minimize or even cover up. 
Now, God, in his providence, he gives us our weakness just as he gives us our strength. In God's economy, where the return on investment he most values is faith working through love, as Galatians 5, 6 says, weakness become assets. We can even call them talents to be stewarded, to be invested. It, it may be that the most valuable asset that God has given you to steward is not a strength, but a weakness. But if, if we were to value weakness as assets, we need to see clearly where Scripture teaches this. Now, the Apostle Paul provides us with the clearest theology of the priceless value of weakness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 2, 16, and frankly, the entire book of 2 Corinthians is immensely helpful in understanding the indispensable role weakness plays in strengthening the faith and the witness of individual Christians and the church as a whole. Paul's most famous statement of the paradoxical spiritual power of weakness appears in 2 Corinthians 12. There he tells us of his experience of being caught up in paradise, where he received overwhelming and ineffable revelations in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-4. But as a result, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, he says, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Now, in these few sentences, Paul completely reframes the way Christians are to be a weakness, even deeply painful ones that can appear to hinder our calling and the power of darkness that, that seeks to exploit it. What at first seems to us like an experienced liability turns out to be a valuable God-given asset. Well, before we even go any further, we need to be clear that Paul does not include sin in his description of weakness here. The Greek word Paul uses as asthenia is the most common word for weakness in the New Testament. J.I. Packer, in his helpful study of on 2 Corinthians, Weakness is the Way, explains asthenia like this. The idea from the first to last is of inadequacy. We talk about physical weakness, including sickness and disability, intellectual weakness, personal weakness, a weak position when a person lacks needed resources and cannot move situations forward or influence events as desired. Relational weakness when persons who should be leading and guiding us fail to do so. Weak parents, weak pastors, and so on. But you see, when, when Paul speaks of sin, he has more than inadequacy in mind. The Greek word for sin, he typically uses hamartia, which refers to something that incurs guilt before God. Hamartia happens when we think, act, or feel in ways that transcribe what God forbids, as revealed in his word, by the way. And though Paul was aware that hamartia could lead to asathenia, as in 1 Corinthians 11, 27-30, and asathenia could lead to hamartia, as in Matthew 26, 41, he clearly did not believe weakness was synonymous with sin, for he rebuked those who boasted that their sin displayed the power and immensity of God's grace in Romans 6, 1-2. But he gladly boasted of his weakness because they displayed the power and immensity of the grace of God, as in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
In sin, we turn from God to idols, which profanes God, destroys faith, and obscures God in the eyes of others. But weakness has the tendency to increase our conscious dependence on God, which glorifies him, strengthens our faith, and manifests his power in ways our strengths never do. And that's the surprising value of our weakness. They manifest God's power in us in ways our strengths don't. That's what Jesus meant when he told Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness in 2 Corinthians 12. 9. Perfect, it means complete or entirely accomplished. Our weaknesses are indispensable because God manifests, manifests the fullness of his power through them. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, whatever Paul's thorn in the flesh was, my weakness is not like that. Right. That's what we all think. Paul initially saw his weakness as a grievous liability and even repeatedly pleaded to be delivered from it. But as soon as he understood Christ's purpose in it, he saw it in a whole new light, a priceless asset disguised as a liability. And he gloried in the depths of God's knowledge, wisdom, and omnipotent grace. You know, let's be all honest. We probably all, myself included, have been slower than Paul and learning to see our thorn as an asset. And honestly, I'm still learning and probably so are you. But I see at least some of the ways this weakness has strengthened me. It's forced me to live in daily dependent faith on the grace of God. It has heightened my gratitude for those uh, God has placed around me who have the strengths where I'm weak. Beset with my own weakness, I am more prone to deal gently and patiently with others who struggle with weakness different than my own. In other words, I see ways God has manifested his power more completely through my perplexing weakness. Now, the fact that we don't know what Paul's thorn was is evidence of the wisdom of God. Let's be real. If we did, we would likely compare our weakness to his and conclude that ours has no spiritual value and we would be dead wrong. Paul said that his weakness, his thorn in the flesh, was given to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Given by whom? Well, let's be honest. Whatever role Satan played in Paul's mind was secondary. Paul received this weakness, as well as insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 10, as assets given to him by the Lord. And as a steward of the mysteries of God, according to 1 Corinthians 4, 1, he considered his weakness a crucial part of the portfolio his master had entrusted him. And so he determined to invest them well in order that his master would see as much of a return as possible. Now, if you're familiar with the parable of the talents of Matthew 25, 14 through 30, you might recognize that I'm drawing from its imagery. Jesus has given each of us different talents to steward, assets of immense kingdom value, each according to his ability, according to Matthew 25, 15. And his expectation is that we will invest them well while we wait for his soon and eminent return. Some of these talents and strengths and abilities our Lord has given us, but some of them are our weaknesses, our inadequacies, our limitations limitations which he's also given to us and he's given us these weaknesses not only to increase in us the invaluable and shared treasure of humility according to second corinthians 12 7 but also to increase our strength in the most important aspects of our being faith and love but our weaknesses are not only given to us as individuals they're given to the church our limitations as much as our abilities are crucial to christ designed to equip his body so that it works properly and builds itself up in love according to Ephesians 4 16. 
Our weaknesses make us depend on one another in ways our strengths don't, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. And what this means is they are given to the church for the same reason they are given to us individually, so that the church may grow in strength and love, according to 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5, and love in 1 Corinthians 13, two qualities that uniquely manifest Jesus' reality and power to the world, according to John 13, 35. Now, someday when our master returns, he will ask us to give an account of the talents he's entrusted to us. Some of these talents will be our weakness. We don't want to tell him we buried any of them. It may be even that the most valuable talent in our investment portfolio, it turns out to be a weakness. And since it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, according to 1 Corinthians 4.2, we would be wise to examine how faithfully we are stewarding the talents of our weakness. So how well are you investing the weakness you've been given? You see, God's design for our suffering is that it should magnify the worth of Christ and his power. This is grace because the greatest joy Christians have is to experience Christ magnified in our lives. And so when Paul was told by the Lord Jesus that his thorn in the flesh would not be taken away, he supported Paul's faith by explaining why. The Lord said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God ordains that Paul would be weak so that Christ may be seen as strong on Paul's behalf. Now today, if you and I, we feel and we even look self-sufficient, we're going to get that glory, not Christ. So Christ chooses the weak things of the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, according to 1 Corinthians 1.29. And sometimes he makes seemingly strong people weaker so that the divine power will be even more evident. And we know that Paul experienced this as grace and he rejoiced in it, according to 2 Corinthians 12.9-10. Which says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, living by faith in the grace of God, it means being satisfied with all that God has done for us in Jesus. Therefore, faith will not shrink back from what reveals and even magnifies all that God is for us in Jesus. That is what our weakness and what our suffering are meant to do. And that is also how we're going to be content. Remember, contentment is a disposition of the heart. It's made possible because we have new hearts. We have been made new creations, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have this peace with God according to Romans 5, 1 through 2 that has made us right with God. And we have this peace that is being worked into our daily experience according to Paul and Philippians 4, 6 through 8. This is being made real in our experience in, and like what Paul is talking about today where, where he, was find, he found contentment not, not in his circumstances in the things that were going on, he found his contentment in the Lord. He found his contentment in Christ. And then he was able to deal with his weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities, with difficult people. Because he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. How about you today? And the, and the truth is, we are all learning this. You know, uh, over the last 12 years, I've been learning this lesson. And it's a tough lesson. It's hard to have two parents with memory issues, advanced memory issues. It's, it's hard to have, you know, like my wife, she, she had a mother who died of stage four cancer. And that's, that's tragic. That's hard. But, but our situations of our lives, what God is doing in those situations, 
Is he seeing, uh, is our trust, is our confidence, is it going to be in the Lord? These situations are being used by the Lord. Hand tailored, as one of my mentors said, by the Lord in his providence to cause us to draw near to him, to trust him, to grow in prayer, prayer and dependence on the Lord. And we need to remember that we have a high priest who ever lives to plead the merits and the treasure of his own blood before the Father on account of his own. He is our advocate according to 1 John 2, 1 through 2. And man, that is such a comfort. The sovereign grace of our God who saved us, who sustains us, who is going to lead us safely home, who is going to glorify us. He's with us. He's unchanging. He's near. He's eminent. And he's immutable. So let those, let today, let these truths really sink into your heart. And, and may you know that in your weakness, God is being made strong. He is being made much of. He is being made magnified. You want to know where God is in the midst of this. He is at work. He, there's a thousand million things that he is doing in the midst of all the situations of our lives. And they are all ordered under his providence and are used for his glory. Nothing, nothing is wasted according to Genesis 50, 20 by the hand of our king and our Lord. Oh, praise the Lord for that. You know, that is such an encouragement. And this is what Paul found is what Paul learned in his weakness. He's being made strong and therefore he could find contentment in, in who Christ is because he knew that. And he learned, he said in, in, in Philippians four, this truth, he learned these things by way of experience, by walking them out by faith and trust in, in living out the truths that he so well taught us. So I hope that today this episode is really encouraging for you in the midst of your own suffering and that you'll fix your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus, just as I do every day, I try to do every day, although imperfectly by his grace. Let's keep looking to Jesus, eyes on Jesus. He is good. He is worthy. He is trustworthy. He is altogether precious. He is a treasure. He is our beloved. So let's look to him, call upon him. His peace is as sure it is, as Hebrews said, an anchor to the soul. Christ is sufficient. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.